was freaking out this, this is Brock and Salk. Brock Ewart is my hero. Jay Buter just punched me in the kidney. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. On Seattle Sports. What we're going to do, you are a man of That really worked that way, Sherm. This is a show that has my name on it. It kind of does, though. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen and Ballard. Now, here are your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Salk. Hello! Hello! Oh, yes. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. Seattle Sports application, of course, and all the podcast platforms. I was thinking about it. And we say SeattleSports.com on Formal Friday. Do you think that needs to be www? I was thinking like HTTP colon slash slash www.seattlesports.com. Well, that's, that's a fair question. That's just like. Is that too far? Senior Friday. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I was just saying we want to try to be formal about it. Senior Friday. You think that, like, when you talk to older people, they're like, well, it's a HTTP colon slash slash. Yeah. I don't hear that that often. The WWW thing, yes. You get a lot of that from, from an old. All right, so what's the web address? Okay, WWW. And there's a lot of a lot of concern that you're going to get all of the letters in there. So either way, uh, good morning to everybody. Hope Happy you're having a, a good day. Yes. Happy Formal Friday. We have so many people joining us today. Thank God, because I uh, my throat hurts. So I am happy. To not talk today. Is your jaw it's better? Evil. Yeah, your jaw. Now your jaw's throat. fine. Jaw's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rough week. I don't know what was going on with my jaw the, the other day. I think I'm okay. I'm kind of fighting through, like, you know, everything. It's what happens when Brock's not here. I mean, it is it is more work. I'm not going to lie, but. Uh, <laughs> I figured your back would hurt more. I know. Than yeah, my, oh, uh, uh, Jerry DePoto, 630. Let me just run. I don't usually do this, but Jerry DePoto, 630. Joe Fan. 7.30. Mike Morris, Seahawks defensive lineman. 8 o'clock, more and I spoke with him yesterday. Nice dude. I mean, really, like I said that there was some Mike Bennett to him. There's a lot of Mike Bennett to him. I was kind of wondering... You guys talked a lot about Julio's eyes. He's He's got some... He has like, similar. I was kind of wondering if you were going to say anything about that. You know what, Maura? You're absolutely right. <laughs> He does. But he's so far away from you. He's so much like taller and bigger. You might not have gotten he's as good of a look. Huge. He really <laughs> is huge. You know what? If I was, I was, so that I did the interview, I did it on my phone, right? It's not going to sound like, uh, like you're on a phone, but like we had to record it. We weren't able to use the, uh, the regular studio there. So, you know, I'm worried about the phone and getting it in the right position with the microphone and all that kind of garbage, right? So I wasn't able to really stare into his eyes as I might have done had we been sitting. Because it was like you were reaching for the top shelf at the grocery store the whole time you were talking no, to him? No, I mean, I, ha- yes. I took pictures. I'll post later. Yeah. Uh, Is he bigger than me in the pictures? Yes. Yeah. Very Shock- much so. Shocker. Maybe we can use those as my after pictures for Eastside Weight Loss Clinic. <laughs> like, yeah, I used to look like Good Mike idea. Morris. And now, I mean, here I am. By the way, Mike Morris has been... Big as he is, and he said he's gained, what is it, like 20 pounds? He could gain 20 more, no problem. He's got the frame to add so much more weight. He somehow, yeah, still looks lean. He definitely does not look like someone that's like right gained 20 pounds and is like having uh-uh. trouble getting around. Or He's fast, and he looks lean. So. He, he looks like he may be an Just absolute monster. A big guy. Really curious to see what he looks like once, you know, hitting and tackling and all the physicality really starts. But... Uh, yeah, I was worried for him. I was like, you know, I don't know whether he's got a significant other in his life or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Like, hey, he uh, 
he said he does. He's got a girlfriend, and I was a little curious about how she was handling his his weight gain. So you'll hear about that coming up a little bit, uh, a little bit later in the show. We'll do that at eight six, o'clock. Six two ninety one is what he's listed at. Yeah, he's bigger than that. Okay. G Scott at eight thirty. Stacy Ross at nine o'clock. So uh, yeah, and then your calls, of course, at six thirty. I was out last nine. night. I want to uh, nine thirty. Excuse me. I want to uh, just say I was out last night at uh, an, at an event. Speaking of formal Friday, got myself dressed up. It's nice. I can fit into my dress shirts again. Kyle and I were there together, both wearing gingham dress shirts, which was good. We sat next to each other and looked ridiculous because we were both wearing gingham. <laughs> Didn't know that at the Half time when I was get, getting dressed. But yeah, two guys wearing gingham and there was only like, you know, three guys wearing gingham in the whole place. So that was just looked stupid. But OK, so there last night and uh, this is KJ's big event. The uh, the the opening gala, whatever you want to call it, of the Right Way Foundation. That's KJ's new charity. Cool. Awesome. Everybody was there, I imagine. God, I got to tell you. KJ brings out the big guns. Pete Carroll. John Schneider with his lovely wife, Tracy. Let me see. Bobby Wagner. Jermaine Curse, Doug Baldwin. Uh, let's, uh, th- th- you can go in some other directions. The lovely Elena, who owns Ascend, one of our partners and at, uh, here at the station and on the podcast, shout out to Ascend and to Laney. Uh, she was awesome. She, bi- she got something great. So one of the items, G Scott, when I talk about the big guns being out there, G was the MC oh, and the, uh, auctioneer. It's first time I got to see G do an auction. I have thoughts and we will discuss them when G's in at 830. <laughs> But, uh, but, but, um, so one of the, one of the items, you know, they do the, what do you call it? Just like the raise the paddle thing at the paddle end, raising right? raising event, yeah. Yeah. So at the very top level, they actually went above the normal top level. Said so if anybody wants to go above it, there's a really cool prize. And KJ brought something out that I've not seen. He brought out this, his Steve Largent award, which is a big, wow. legitimate, it's like a statue. Right. I mean, it's it's a it's a statue of Largent making a catch and like dragging a guy to the end zone. And I mean, it's got to be I don't know, two feet wide and a foot tall and heavy, heavy. I'd almost knocked G over when he was trying to hold it. And KJ, how cool is this? Said anybody who got to that level would get to keep the trophy for a year. Whoa. At their place of business or in their office or wherever they wanted it. And this isn't a replica. This is the trophy. This is his trophy, which he said he wanted to win forever. And Russ kept winning it and he kept getting mad about it. In any event, she bid on it. So if you go to Ascend, I would assume starting like today, 31st floor up there in Bellevue, not only will you eat an incredible meal, not only will you be treated to the incredible view, but you'll see a really cool piece of uh, KJ Wright's world which will now be on display at Ascent. That's awesome. Isn't that cool? What a so great idea. He raised a ton of money. There were great, great uh, giveaways and prizes, and all those guys got involved. And even a few of the guys who weren't able to be there donated stuff. Cliff donated stuff, and I think there were a few others as well. So it was cool. Um, one thing I heard, now I don't know whether I'm supposed to repeat this, but I'll do it anyway because I didn't hear it directly. It was it was sort of repeated to me. Is uh, When Pete showed up, a lot. Pete was one of the later people to arrive. That when Pete showed up, he saw a PR person in the Seahawks organization, looked right at him and was like, 
where my guy's at. And like just went right over to Doug and Jermaine and Kate. I mean, just just wanted to see his guys. Fitting. Isn't that great? I mean, it just it just kind of tells you who Pete is and why Pete is Pete. He's a little bit different from everybody else, right? And just that, you know, desire. And then, you know, John and Tracy stuck around and bid on stuff. I think they bought some stuff as well. It was just it, it was interesting to see some of the love that just still exists around that group, around that team. And then there were a lot of heavy hitters from around the Seattle area and the east side, et cetera. I won't go into everybody, but it was uh, it was a really cool event. And I know I've probably taken too much time talking about it, well, but it kind of blew me really away. It was great. And I don't mean to put you on the spot here in case this wasn't a big part, but what is the right foundation? The right foundation? Yes. What it's called? The right way. The right way. Foundation. The right way, and obviously, right spelled with a W. Right. Yes. Right way foundation. Okay. Yes. The I'm right sorry. way foundation. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to look it up for myself to find. They out do some really. They, uh, do. they do a lot of great stuff. Financial literacy. Remember, we had that conversation yeah. with KJ Cliff. and Cliff when they were both in here. Uh, teaching financial literacy is a huge part of it, and I think he's ultimately it's a foundation. It's not just one. It's not just focused on one thing only. So financial literacy, a big part of it. And then I know he's trying to open up a Boys and Girls Club facility in Olive Branch, Mississippi. So I think that's a part of it. It's pretty cool. I, uh, I, I just I shout out to KJ. And we got to learn a little bit about the challenges with these foundations. And uh, I hope that he's got everything moving in the right direction. If I trust anybody to do it right, it's KJ. He just has such a big heart and such a, such a desire to do good in the community. His mom was there. I got to meet KJ's wife. Last night, I just it was it was cool. A family affair, but not just his real family, his extended family as well. I'm sure cool. the turnout had something to do with how supportive he is of everyone else. Because I've always, I don't I don't point. think I've ever seen him say no to anything. That's I feel right. like he he says yes to almost everything people ask him to do. He always shows up for people. It's so a it's, it's a nice great to point. see that he got the same in return. Mora, you the, couldn't be more right. The Right Way Foundation fifty. Dot org is what 50. Okay, yes. there you go. All right, hey, uh, I'm sorry. I just wasted basically the last seven minutes talking about it. It was really, really cool. Cool night last night. Shout out to KJ. And I promise there's a ton of good content today. We got so much sound. Oh, my God. Between Jerry DePoto yesterday and Ron Francis yesterday and Pete Carroll yesterday, like, need to know is going to rock. And it's next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710salesports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, it's great to be out of practice yesterday uh, for the last of these voluntary OTAs. Next week's going to be mandatory mini camp. Seahawks out working. And uh, the defense definitely taking center stage. They were disrupting everything, especially when the second team offense was out there. Has Gino been different? Yeah, once again, you could see it. He is such a clear cut. Starting quarterback, everything moves a lot faster when he's in there, and Pete Carroll pretty proud of what he sees. Yeah, yeah, he he has been a, a really positive influence on the other guys. He's been he's so determined, and he he's he's got he's got his eye on uh, on the ball the whole way now, and, and uh, he's been so consistent and available, and and the messaging is so solid. It's like you know, you, you, everybody needs to come along with him. He's going, you know, and and. Uh, it's just been such a remarkable thing to watch, you know, the way he's taken over and the, the opportunity and how he commanded so well last year. And, and he has handled the the success and he's handled the Pro Bowl and the offseason and, and all the hype and all of that. He, and, and how he's answered it is with great work. I always try to figure out what Pete's about to say next. When he said he handled it so I thought he was going to say beautifully, but he went with well. Usually that's a beautiful. He's just handled everything so beautifully. 
It's big Pete Carrollism. Anyway, uh, yeah, I could run through a bunch of this Pete stuff, but here, here's another one that really jumped out to me, talking about Jamal Adams and Jordan Brooks. Here's where they're at. He, he sounds good. I talked to him just a couple of days ago. Um, um, Mo Kelly went down and saw those guys uh, yesterday and visited with uh, uh, him and Jordan, and uh, everything's moving along. It, it, I, we don't have time frames. We won't really know for oh, another good six weeks, eight weeks or something like that, you know, to see how far they've come. But um, they're both they're – both, they got their eyes set on, you know, getting back and getting ready to go for the season. So whether they can make it, we'll, we'll find out. So just to kind of think through that. So Jamal will be here next week, right, as they do these mandatory mini camps. Great. Eight weeks. They might not know for eight weeks a timetable. Well, eight weeks, that's training camp. Think about that. So they're not going to know the timetable on Jamal Adams and maybe Jordan Brooks until about training camp. That's a little concerning when you start thinking about what their availability is going to be this year and you know just getting them ready in a new system, in this case for Jamal. Kind of curious to see how all of that goes. But good to see everybody out there. And as I said, Mike Morris, you'll hear that interview coming up at 8 o'clock this morning. Here's the second thing you need to know. All right, Mariners are uh, going to get back to it tonight to start off a very important road trip in Texas. Made a little roster move yesterday trying to add some punch to the lineup. They send down Taylor Trammell. Call up the red-hot Mike Ford, who uh, people have been clamoring for for quite some time. I think Trammell sort of necessitated this move by just struggling mightily once again with his time here in the big leagues. But it's time to start thinking bigger. We're into uh, we're into June. We talked to Jerry DePoto yesterday, and he said, yeah, there are some big-time types of trades they showed last year. They're willing to go big. We will go into the trade deadline uh, part of this season looking for a bat wherever that bat might fit and it's uh, positionally is you can't really focus on positions and especially in July that's very difficult to do you don't know uh, who's going to be available or what so we'd like to, to create uh, length in our lineup I think our pitching staff again has been incredible and you know fingers crossed health will will be as as much our friend as it has been in years past and we'll continue to do the things we're doing but for us it's it's all about offense they're looking for offense so he makes that clear looking to lengthen the lineup he also said they may be looking to turn over some stones that find some players you don't necessarily know are available and if they're able to find a Luis Castillo situation a premier kind of player who would be under control for more than one year they're willing to go just as big at that as they did to go get Castillo. And so be very curious to see what that looks like. Who could that be? John Morosi has a name that I've heard bandied about. And one name, and this is, I'm kind of, kind of putting two and two together here without having exactly uh, divined what Jerry's looking at. But I think one name to keep in mind is Jonathan India with Cincinnati because they, they've got a couple of young infielders who are making an impact right now. And Jonathan India was, you know, rookie of the year type player in, in 2021. And and that's the kind of a move that would fit that description as I'm putting two and two together here. Okay, a guy that you wouldn't expect to be available at a position of need for the Mariners, a good bat-to-ball guy. Uh, I think Jonathan India in the right deal would make a ton of sense. And- he could. He'd be very, very expensive. But, you know... Jerry has shown the ability to go after big-time players before. You want to make another deal with the Reds? We could just import all of Cincinnati and see if they fit here in Seattle. 
Here's the third thing you need to know. Anyway, speaking of Luis Castillo, he and John Gray go tonight. Kraken obviously had a very good year. A lot of guys that were very good. But when their GM joined me yesterday, Ron Francis did say they do have some room to improve, specifically on the power play. And I think we all know how you improve that. I think it's a little combination of both. You know, I thought early in the season with Burakovsky and on, on the on the flank there, everything was really clicking along pretty good. Um, you know, we struggled um, more so I think when he was out just to try and find that niche. We had you know stretches here and there where it was it was uh, you know it was fine. But some of that too is again we don't have you know you don't have that you know, whatever, superstar type player or whatever that can sort of take control of your power play and run it. We've got a, we've got a bunch of really good players and that's been our success or reason for our success. So I'm not complaining, but, you know, sometimes in a power play situation, maybe that affects us uh, a little bit more than it would other teams. Yeah, he went on to talk a little bit more about the need for a star player and whether or not that's something you've got to have if you want to go from good to great. And I think the answer is if it's out there, he would absolutely be looking to find it, but those things are hard to find. I continue to believe Toronto presents a unique situation and there might be an opportunity to acquire one of their big time players. We'll wait and find out whether or not that's truly in the cards. By the way, UW women uh, softball postponed yesterday. That game has been rescheduled for 10 o'clock this morning. All right. That's everything you need to know. Quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Sulk show. As I said, uh, out of practice yesterday morning, I'll give you some observations from practice coming up at 7 o'clock this morning. There was a lot in that Jerry DePoto interview yesterday. I want you guys to really pay attention because you can hear kind of a, a, an understanding of what it is that helped Julio get turned around, why hitting coaches and the way they run baseball organizations is different from the way it used to be, what it was that got George Kirby going again in this, in this, uh, in this pitching staff, and then, yeah, quite a bit on the trade deadline and what it looks like here over the next couple of weeks and months as this season shifts. It's no longer just about the evaluation process, which is no, it's no longer early. It's now go time. And John Morosi told Wyman and Bob yesterday he thinks that that, you know, yesterday a roster move with Mike Ford is just the beginning of what could be some some real changes to this Mariner lineup. But what does that look like? You hear from Jerry DePoto coming up next. Brock and Salt, Sales Sports on 710. The Jerry DePoto Show presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Jerry, we're a third of the way through. You're coming off of a walk off win last night. What do you make of your team? Uh, you know, a really nice homestand, seven and three, and really the month of May, like we talked about last week, we we made a ton of progress, and we just have to keep beating this drum and, and moving in the right direction. The pitching has been uh, a, a little bit uh, unexpected. We, we hit some some potholes this uh, this homestand, but on the season to date, again as good as you could expect best in the league. And I do feel like despite the constant starts and stops, the offense has made progress and, and the bullpen secures them. So uh, two thirds of our team is operating at full function. And, and the, the third element is, is kicking into gear a little bit. When you say three thirds, that's what pitching defense and, and offense. Is that how you look at it? Yes. And, and, and I do think the offense is, you know, we're, we're seeing progress, especially our younger players, you know, that, that we expected to be the drivers of the club. I think, you know, Julio and Jared and, and Cal Raleigh, those guys have, have carried their water. JP and Ty France are, are roughly JP and Ty France. 
we, we are not as long in the lineup as we would like to be and, and would like to get the, the contributions from the back end that we, that we had anticipated throughout and feel like that will come. Uh, you know, it's, and, and if it doesn't, we'll find a way to solve it. Yeah, so so let's talk through a few of those guys and, and maybe starting with Julio because his last, what is it, 10 or 11 games now has really just been incredible. Another multi-hit game last night. Any idea what helped it click for Julio? Uh, a lot of work in the cage. You know, Julio spent a lot of time in this homestand with his hitting coach and, and you know, really just getting back to a good body position, a posture in the box and We've talked about it periodically here on Thursdays and, and certainly with Julio uh, as the season has progressed. You, you get in bad habits as the season goes along. And, you know, part of being, uh, you know, being coached or being a coach is, is leaning into those bad habits and trying to, to unplug them and get back to the things that you do well. And, you know, it, during the course of a 162-game baseball season, you're not recreating what players do you're just trying to get them you know as close to their their norms as you possibly can over time and you know and don't let it erode and and i think it did erode on julio in the middle of april there and and just started to to eat away at him now he's back to doing the things he does and and comfortably looks like himself in the batter's box when you say working with his hitting coach is that a personal hitting coach is that the mariners hitting coach is what what does that look like so all of them, actually, there's it, it, each of our players and I want to, well, almost all of our players has their own hitting coach. <laughs> and, you know, in, in Julio's case, Julio does have his own hitting coach who did spend time here at this homestand and, and uh, including you know, time with, with Jared DeHart and Tony Arnrich. We, as a practice, lean into our, our players, individual coaches. And uh, we tend to, uh, I philosophically we believe that the best thing we can do for our players is find a way to work together with their, you know, their crew. Because if, if we try to alienate a player or we, we say, this isn't how we operate, we have coaches, you know, we have final say, it just doesn't work that way. You know, that's not where players are and you have to meet players where they're at. So he has, you know, Julio has a hitting coach and he came in. He does a wonderful job. We have a great relationship with him. He works very well with, with Jared DeHart. And, you know, we always get the, the, the message before he's coming in. And, and I think the results this time through speak for themselves. He, he looks so much more comfortable. And, and just because I think this is, you know, something that not everybody fully grasps about today's, today's game, how common is that for it to work that way? Around the game, not just with the Mariners, but around the game. More common than you might think, but uh, I would say more common in the last four or five years than ever before. And, you know, there might be teams that have a stance that, uh, you know, that's fine, but not on our space. We, we, we don't do that. We embrace it. And it's something we, we talked about years ago when we first got here. We have to find a way to lean into the players' systems and programs and people and, and make it one program so that we're not constantly working in a juxtaposition with one another. There's Find a way to create stability in that player's life rather than creating, you know, I guess, adversity. And that's what we try to do. Is that true with pitchers also? Or are they, are there, is that not sort of the same deal with their personal coaches? No, the, the pitchers do have personal coaches. They tend to work with their personal coaches almost exclusively in off-season programs. Uh, their, their programs are more built up 
And during the season, you don't get a lot of independent, you know, visits. And, and I think that's largely because the the, the pitching, uh, especially the, the starters, there's so much work time in between that the, the pitching, our pitching coaches, our pitchers are constantly in tune with where their body's at. The, you know, with the hitters, it's an everyday thing. And and you sometimes can't see the the little, you know, difference that that creates a slump that starts a downward trend and you know and and sometimes with a hitter you need to tap in it's always that extra cage work and some thing things that fans just don't see even if you're prone to watching batting practice it's it's the work that's happening in the cages inside the clubhouse and you know that's where you know the the independent hitting coach or our guys really start to grind and make a difference and oftentimes you know it's all relational we have we'll have uh, coaches in our minor league system, a hitting coordinator, a hitting coach at a different level who has a good relationship with a player. And we have historically, when we've gone into those slumps or downward trends, we'll just call that coach back to Seattle and have them come back because it's all about the voice. It's, it's who can, can resonate with that hitter at that time. So the other sort of turnaround we saw, as you mentioned, Jerry, was was, you know, three starts that did not look like the starts we've seen from your pitchers all year long. We've now seen one of those guys bounce back, obviously, with with quite quite a bit of gusto. George Kirby last night. What goes into that? I mean, we we know he's competitive. We know that uh, certainly he was facing his childhood, you know, team with all everybody watching and everything else. But what did you see different from George Kirby last night? Uh, I thought George had, and George always pitches. I, I think many would be taken aback if they realized how competitive George was out there because he he's such a nice guy. That's what he presents. But he's not a nice guy when he's pitching, and you know, and he wasn't nice last night. And it's a he he got after it all week long. There was an edge to him. I, I think you know, as you said, he was taken aback by the fact that that he got hit around a little bit against the Pirates, and and that's not normal for George, and not just normal for George in this great run that he's been on, but you know, in his baseball life, it just doesn't happen to him very often. So I think he took it personally and he went out there last night and I thought that's the best command that he's ever had. And this is one of the elite command pitchers that you'll ever see. So to say that is, is pretty extraordinary, but I thought he was terrific. We have to get a shove report on last night. I got to imagine it was pretty good. Uh, 97. It was, it was very high. Which 97. Get 100. What was, so he was 97. It was Castillo last year that hit a hundred in the playoffs. Is that right? Yeah, and we've had we've had a, a couple of more hundred this year, including George. But uh, you know, it's the, I think we've had four hundred one hundred since huh. the this since we started using these shoves tours years ago, and and uh, uh, ninety seven is a big number. I mean, it sure seemed that way. I was there last night, and I guess other than the ball that JP caught, which was scalded, I mean, it just seemed like he was in complete control. So now, you know, we've seen him bounce back. I don't worry as much about Logan. We've seen him, you know, have bad outings and jump back out before. But what is what what does the process look like with a Bryce Miller who really gets hit around for the first time in his career? Yeah, I thought for Bryce it was very different. You know, for for Logan and George, I, I, good offensive clubs put good swings on him, drove him into the the strike zone, and 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 gave him a difficult time. And like you said, they've managed that before. You know, while this hasn't happened often to George or to Logan, frankly, they, they've shown that they can bounce back from these things. In Bryce's case, I think he just looked a little tired. 
You know, the, the first inning of that game, this was, you know, this was the first time in Bryce's professional career that he's thrown three consecutive starts on five days rest. And I think the the idea that he goes out there in the first inning, he's buzzing 95, 96, he gets through it pretty simply, pops up Aaron Judge, and it looks like a normal start. You know, the nuance here is that by the time he went out for the second inning, his velocity had dropped two or three miles an hour and his command left him you know he he wasn't he wasn't as easy in hitting his locations he didn't walk anybody but he wasn't hitting his locations his secondary stuff wasn't as crisp and I just think you saw the fatigue of multiple consecutive five-day starts for the first time and you know we've talked about this on these airways before this is these are lessons that, that young pitchers young players are learning about long seasons and the only way you learn them is to live through them and uh and we've I think we behaved in the right way. We we tried to get him out there uh, for as long as, as he could sustain it in that game and then take advantage of these off days that are coming up. So will you do anything beyond just give him the extra day off that he would get for the off day? Or is it just, you know, business as usual, but he gets an extra day of rest this time? That, you know, it's, it's giving the extra day of rest. It's the benefit this time of two off days in close proximity. Mm. So you know, he'll have an off day leading into this start, and then he'll get an off day buffer. So this next time through, it's two six-day, uh, uh, I guess, six-day starts. And, and uh, you know, that should do do the trick. I, again, Bryce is fresh-armed. He's athletic. I, I don't think this was, uh, you know, a, 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 some, a signal of, of something to come. I think it was just a, a one-day struggle where I think you saw some fatigue. And, frankly, that's what I think we watched for the first couple of games against the Yankees. You know, we're playing our, our 11th, 12th, 13th games in a row. And, and uh, it's, it, it's tougher than you think. I know it's, it's, it's not just a reality TV show. The guys do get tired. And, and uh, I think we played a little bit tired the last couple of days. And it's good that we have these days off. So you're a third of the way through the season, as we mentioned, this sort of where the uh, evaluation phase starts to turn into the action phase or the tinkering phase. What are the next steps for you and Justin? Uh, Picking up the phone, getting in touch with the other 29 clubs. You know, we're in June now. This is this is the month where we start making our blanket phone calls as to, you know, what teams are planning headed into the trade deadline. Uh, And this is it's probably going to be a pretty busy three weeks in that regard because once teams start their their draft meetings which will probably happen for most clubs about the third week of june uh once the draft meetings start those calls will slow for a little bit so the next three weeks a big check-in phase we'll find out who's willing to do what uh and you generally share with the other clubs what it is you're looking to do and and some of the issues you may have uh somebody is inevitably going to ask you what your surplus is and 29 clubs will answer. I'm not sure we have surplus, but this is what we need. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, we, we do have an idea. And, you know, as we talked about through the off season, we will go into the trade deadline uh, part of this season looking for a bat wherever that bat might fit. And it's uh, positionally is you can't really focus on positions. And especially in July, that's very difficult to do. You don't know. Uh, who's going to be available or what. So we'd like to to create uh, length in our lineup. I think our pitching staff, again, has been incredible. And, you know, fingers crossed, health will, will be as as 
much our friend as it has been in years past and, and we'll continue to do the things we're doing. But for us, it's, it's all about offense. And we're going to get some help back internally here with, uh, with Andres Munoz and Dylan Moore. And hopefully that helps, but it, it'll be a fun month for us as we, hopefully continue to play well and, and find the ways to get better moving forward. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is, is what can this team do in the next couple of weeks or however long it is before, you know, you make a decision on that to affect your decision making. If they play better, do you go bigger? I mean, does that, does that change the way you might act at the, at or before the deadline? No, I think you see it, you know, with Luis Castillo, and I'm not sure you can go bigger than, than the rock at the deadline. And we did that a year ago. And I think that is more representative of our mindset is that when we go big, we go big for players that we feel like are going to be here for a, a sustained period of time. And in, in Luis's case, we talked about this minimally, we were getting the 2022 season and 2023 and, and we, we thought we had the chance to keep him here. And, and that wound up being the case. We'll again, focus on players like that in the, the available veteran crew. We're, we won't, I, I guess we won't turn our eyes from, you know, the, the expiring contracts, potential free agents. We're just unlikely to view that as the big get pouring it out for, for a short-term rental player. It doesn't make sense for us just in, in terms of, how we build our roster or philosophically. So think more like if it's big, it's going to be a player that's sustainable. If not, we'll try to do those, you know, those small, I guess, under the hood type trades that are, that wind up being a lot better than you think Mm -hmm. and, and adding, but anything is open to us right now simply because we know what we want to do to get better. We just have to find the right dance partner to do it. Do you think, and I know it's early, but you know, we sort of, I think have a sense of who the veteran bats who only have, you know, a a half year left of club control are. Do you have a sense as to whether or not there will be those other sort of Luis Castillo equivalents in the, in the market this year? There always are, you know, it's a, they're, the, the rental bats, you know, the guys who are, are pending free agents, and those are fairly easy to see. There'll be a list of them that come out on everybody's rankings, you know, between now and, and July from anywhere from MLB Network, the ESPN and the like. Uh, we tend to focus on and the players on that list that, that have a little bit more control. We also have a fair bit of conversation with clubs about players that you might not think are as available as, as clubs are willing to make them for the right returns. And those are the trades that we generally spend more of our time on. And sometimes they come to fruition and sometimes they don't. But, you know, we tend to spend a little bit more of our time focusing on what this does for the Mariners in 2023 and moving forward, because, you know, what, what we are attempting to build. And I, and I think the foundation we've laid is suggestive of is that we want this to be a, the long game. We want to win year in and year out. And, and we feel like we're on the right path to do that. You mentioned uh, a couple of the guys that you should get back and, and let's just sort of do our uh, weekly update phase of this with uh, both Andres Munoz and Dylan Moore. And then I'll ask you about Burrow as well, because I just keep following that story to see what's going on there. Yeah, well, I mean, Mooney and, and Dylan should be back, you know, fingers crossed, no, no further delays should be back when we get to San Diego. So uh, anticipate seeing them in San Diego on Tuesday and, you know, if that uh, if that holds, that'll be a nice ad for us. Uh, obviously, there are 
they're good players that make our team considerably better. And and it'd be hard to imagine our bullpen getting a lot better than it's been. But when you drop an Andres Munoz on it, it does. It gets a lot better. And, you know, that's a big boost. Uh, there's as far as as Perlander goes, the you know, the bullpen experiment is is proving to be uh, worth the the the. The squeeze, I suppose. He's, his, his last outing was a little bit rocky. He walked a few and gave up uh, what I think are his first runs as a reliever. But the, the outing before, his fastball averaged, I think, 100.2, which is what we were anticipating. You know, he's putting him in the bullpen. You were going to get a much bigger version of his fastball. His slider is always a, a difficult pitch to handle or hit. We, we have to help him, you know, continue to refine his command. And, you know, it's, he just needs to be in the area. And when he's in the area, he's, he's tough to touch. There's another couple of guys that are throwing the ball incredibly well in, in the Arkansas bullpen. And, you know, Isaiah Campbell, who's on the 40-man in his mid-90s with a slider. And maybe the, the new pop-up uh, prospect du jour in our system is Ty Adcock, who was actually the right fielder on, on George Kirby's college team and an eighth-round pick for us uh, a couple of years back, has had a lot of injury, and this is the first year he's healthy. He's older for his level uh, as having been a senior sign, but you know, he's, his average fastball is 97-98 right now with a ferocious breaking ball, and he's lighting it up in double A. And he could be a guy that lands on our radar pretty quickly as well. You guys just have a, a – I mean, I don't think it's too much to wonder when these teams call you and say, hey, where's your surplus, what your answer is. I mean, it, it just seems like there is just arm after arm after arm and all at double A or above right now. Yeah, it's, it's such an exciting group of, of pitchers. And, and I know our, our pitching people, when they come to, to work every day, there's, they find ways because the, the Ty Adcocks and the Perlander Baroas, you know, with, they've, in Ty's case, he's always been a Mariner. Perlander obviously has, has played for other teams in his prospect years. But the, when these, when these guys come to the Mariners, there's an excitement about working with our pitching programs. And, and I know our guys feel that confidence when they come to the ballpark every day. And, and, uh, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty fun to watch the way it evolves and, and to look at a pitcher around the league and say, man, what could we do with that? <laughs> that's a, that's a fun, you know, a way to watch a, a ball game at any level. How many all-stars should your team have? Uh, boy, right. Tough question. Uh, hopefully over the next month, it's, it's more than that. It might look like today. It'd be hard to envision an all-star game without multiple of our pitchers in it. Uh, you know, I don't know with the exception of, of, you know, Kelnick, Julio, uh, Cal Raleigh, I think, are all candidates to make the All-Star team. Uh, I think J.P. Crawford has played incredibly well, although that's going to be a, a position of a little more, uh, I guess, there'll be some some competition there, to be sure. But Luis Castillo, George Kirby, Logan Gilbert, I, I guess you could argue Bryce Miller, although he might not have the bulk to, to add up when it's all said and done. Paul Seawald, it's, it's a... You could you could make an argument for half a dozen of our pitchers, you know, being on the the All Star team, and and I suspect that multiple of them ultimately will when it's said and done. Going to talk uh, in less than an hour now, nine thirty this morning, Jerry, talking to uh, Ron Francis, who just got his extension done or at least announced yesterday. What would you ask Ron Francis today? 
there's, I don't know if I'd ask him anything, but really just praise him for the discipline that he's shown in, in building the roster. I think it's, it, it, it seems to line up with his personality and uh, it, what they've done in such a short time to build a foundation for success and, and not to chase the, the moment when it, when it flew by. There's, you make one bad decision at a, at a trade deadline. You make one bad decision at when you think you're closer than you are, and you do so much damage to the next multiple seasons. And now I admire the fact that while playing so well, they showed some discipline. And, and you know, I, I guess I'd ask them, how good are the young guys that they have been piling up with these draft picks that they've accumulated in the first couple of years? Because, you know, to, to the naked eye, it looks like they are set up for an extremely long run of, of good hockey. Well, it seems like the Mariners have done somewhat of the same thing. A lot of good young players, and, you know, maybe it's this year, maybe it's next year, maybe it's the year after, but uh, the sustainability of this looks pretty on point. Jerry, uh, thank you, as always. We'll do it again next week. All right, Mike. Yeah, a lot in there uh, from Jerry DePoto, and we kind of talked through some of it yesterday. I mean, obviously this stuff, excuse me, with the way uh, coaches are utilized in this day and age is interesting to me, but... As we approach uh, that July 31st trade deadline and trying to figure out what it is the Mariners are going to do, I think you hear pretty clearly from Jerry that, you know, all right, it's go time now. Right? You got a chance to see it. Personally, I mean, we knew that they always needed or wanted one more bat, but again, I think some of that has been really exacerbated by the struggles of some of the guys that have been in their lineup all year long and that were here last year. But now is the time to go remedy that. It's not too late. You're, what, six and a half games behind Texas. You got three coming up against them. Uh, You've not cost yourself this season or anything close to it. So go fix what needs to be fixed. It is is still early enough. While it's not early anymore, and you're not just going to point at it and say nothing matters, it is early enough that it's not too late to fix it. So what can you do here in the next month or two to get that done? We will uh, certainly be watching and paying attention. All right. In the meantime, Moore and I went out yesterday to practice yesterday with a challenge where we each have to have at least one observation that is not about somebody's size or body. That's coming up next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710.